morning, everyone. Good to, good to see you this morning. Good to be with you. Good to worship together. Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't realize we're singing Worthy is the Lamb this morning, but we were, the kids, uh, I, I was playing that song last night. Thanks, Bridget. You're amazing too, Bridget. Um, singing that song that we sang, Worthy is the Lamb, and it was about 10 to 10. So I don't know whether the kids were actually wanting uh, to have a theological conversation or they were just doing all they could to avoid uh, going to bed. But uh, Jada, turned, we were singing this song, uh, <clears throat> It was Michael W. Mike, Michael w. Smith's latest version of it, and uh, it's a really good version. And um, and I was getting into it, and Jada was just Jada turned to us both, and the thing is, like, what's the lamb? Who's the lamb? Just so so accustomed to singing these songs, and knowing the whole lingo that they, that you're sort of struck in that moment, and uh, I'm just trying to say as simply as possible, the lamb, like, the lamb's Jesus. And then as the conversation went on, like, how's the lamb Jesus if Jesus is the shepherd? Like, Daddy, I thought we were the sheep. And Jesus was the shepherd. Now you're, we're singing that Jesus is the lamb. And oh my goodness. So it was like, right kids, it is, it's 10 o'clock. It's time for bed. This is time to go to bed. It was interesting that day. So I'm still working out how to give a really, a really good answer to that without confusing them. Anybody, any? Advice, let me know. It was good. It was good to have those conversations. Be encouraged. Those that work with children there are listening. Like they are engaged. Uh, even when we sometimes don't think they are. Um, I, I'd love this morning. Uh, I want to finish with a story in the gospel. Uh, in the gospel of Luke. But I want to start. Um, I want to start with a story in Genesis 16. And it's the story of it's the story of um, Sarah's maidservant Hagar. And it feels awful to say this because Abraham and, and Sarah, in many ways, are the heroes of the faith, called out by God. That Abraham, all the, I'm going to bless you in order that all all the nations, because of the promise that I'm making with you, every all the nations are going to be blessed as you live out. Uh, this promise that I'm covenanting with you. We read of it in, in Genesis 12, and, and, um, and it feels like the promise isn't going to be fulfilled, and, uh, and, and Abraham and Sarah take it into their own hands to try and speed up the process. It's great to hear Setchum's testimony. I'm sure there's moments along the waiting that you want to do your own thing to speed the process up. And that's what Abraham and Sarah did. It wasn't happening quick enough, and so they 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 got um, Hagar. And if you'll read it at the start of chapter sixteen, and why it's so awful to say is because these are heroes of the faith. But whenever I was reading over this this chapter again on Saturday yesterday morning, and uh, and it just it like it grieved me. It grieved me how abysmally Abraham and Sarah treated this lady. It treated her horrendously. And we're told of uh, how she was sent. Um, Sarah had no children, but she had uh, an Egyptian maidservant. And so she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. 
the Lord is taking too long. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Like sometimes we, we, we're trying to avoid our kids from watching certain things on TV. Like there's parts of the Bible that I'm like, these are, <laughs> these are things if we've seen them in movies would be, like, would be keeping people away from them. But here's uh, sending this, uh, her maidservant to go and sleep with her husband so that they, they could build a family through her. And Abram, Abram agreed. This is before their names have been changed. Abram agreed to what Sarah had said. And, uh, and so he did. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. May the Lord judge between you and me. And it goes on to say, your servant is in your hands. This is Abraham. It's like it just, again, it's this moment of, like it just seems like such cowardice that he says, like he just almost wipes his hands of this and says to Sarah, do whatever you think. And so Sarah ill-treated Hagar and Hagar fled because of how badly she was being treated. But then the story, this is what, and this is where I want to, this is what I want to touch on before we take a look into, into a story that we read in Luke chapter 7. Sarah has Sarah has ill-treated Hagar. Abram has wiped his hands of the whole thing, and so Hagar flees, but the angel of the Lord finds her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? Hagar says, I'm running away. I'm running away from my mistress. I'm running away from Sarai. And the angel of the Lord tells her to go back. And then the angel of the Lord gives her a promise. You, will now have, you are now with child and you will have a son and you will call him Ishmael. But it's this bit. It's this bit that I, that I, that I think reveals the nature of, of God that we see throughout the Bible. And we see it exaggerated, I think we could say, in the life and ministry of Jesus. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That was that line. I just thought it was just a stunning testimony of the goodness of God. She has been, she's a servant. She's an Egyptian servant, maid servant. And she's been used She's been used by Abram and Sarai. And then she's been so mistreated that she's had to flee. But the angel of the Lord, his goodness was running after her. And the angel of the Lord pursues her and finds her in the desert. And as the angel of the Lord, as she encounters the angel of the Lord, and the Lord speaks, as the Lord gives a promise to this servant who has been put in, who has been left uh, with such an overwhelming sense of shame and rejection, her testimony of God is that you are the one who sees me. And I, and I, find, that, I find that so remarkable. I find it so beautiful. And as we follow this, as we follow this story, the Old Testament narrative, we'll, we'll see it. We'll see it in Exodus chapter 3. 
that, that, the, that the children of Israel, the Israelites have been, they, have not, they are now the ones that have been so mistreated. They are the ones that are now facing such injustice. But God comes and encounters Moses in the burning bush and he says to Moses, Moses, I have seen the misery of my people. And so where there has been injustice, where there has been, where there has been rejection, where there has been pain and where there has been hurt, God is saying to Moses, Moses, hear this. Hear this, I have seen the misery. I have seen it. I am the God who sees. And, and, I, and I've just been so struck by that thought. And as, I've, and as I've been looking through some of the stories of Jesus, our great example, our phenomenal role model that he is, Luke chapter 7 is, where, is, the, is the story that I want to look at. Just And with that as a bit of a background, knowing that is the nature of the God that we serve, knowing that is who he is, he is the God who sees, and those that are being left on, rejected, those who have been left on the margins, those who have been set aside at the very fringes, they are the ones that need to know, that need to hear, God sees me. And so here is the story of a, of a woman a woman known amongst this community for being a lady of the night, for being a prostitute, a woman known that was her reputation among the people and the level of rejection and the level of shame that this woman had encountered, that she'd, that she'd lived, that she'd been exposed to in this community, I'm sure much of her life. And so this is the background of the story. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him and so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And when this woman, when this woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learnt that Jesus was eating at this house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears. There's another, uh, there's another version that says broken and weeping. She covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, she said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. And so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman. He turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see her? Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but she has not stopped. But she, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not put oil in my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What an incredible story. What a transformation. What, what, what a transformation of when this woman walked into the door, walked in, into this house and encountered Jesus and how things in that moment, in that short encounter with Jesus, how differently she left. But it was, the, and it's been that question. It's been that question for me all week. As we as we watch some of the stuff on our on our news, as we encounter some of the stuff that uh, that immediately something within us causes us to something within us like rises up. There's a there's an anger or there's a disgust or there's something that rises up within us. And I've just found like I've just kept going back to the story. I find I've just kept going back, and I feel like the words of Jesus, this question just ringing in my ear all week. Do you see her, Neil? As I'm prone, and my default is one of judgment, is one of critique, is is one of labeling, is one of putting a, like a distinction on people based on what they do. Based on how they dress, based on what they, on their performance, I have felt like I've heard that question so clearly all week. Do you see her? Do you see this woman? Do you see this man? And I just have this sense that we just all need to be challenged on this. I can assure you, I need deeply challenged by this question. Because no matter who we encounter this week, no matter who we've encountered this week, before we would dare to label them, first of all, first of all, we need to go back and remind ourselves what the Father says. And he's created each one in his own image. They're divine image bearers created in his image. And I can assure you, no matter who you've encountered this week, no matter who you've walked past, no matter who you've seen in your TV screen, no matter what you've watched on your social media, I can assure you of this, every person was worth Jesus giving his life for. Every person that you made a critique on, made a judgment on, that you labeled, I can guarantee you this, first of all, before anything else, before any other label, their value and their worth is significant. Their value is infinite. Their worth is significant because everyone that you've encountered was worth Jesus laying his life for. And so I've asked myself the question, what are you seeing? What is the first thing that you see? Do you see them? They're, they're those that have been in the minority. They're those that have been rejected. They're those that have been left lonely and in shame and in isolation. And what is it that you see? Is your sense that that, like, well, that was the lifestyle that this woman chose so she deserved it? Is that our default? That's the lifestyle that they've chose, so that's my labeling of them is justified. I'm, I want to suggest that it's not. Do you see this woman? Do you see this divine image bird? Do you see this one that I laid down my life for? 
I felt like Jesus has been saying that all week. I found it incredibly uncomfortable at times, honestly. So uncomfortable at times. But then whenever I flick, I turn over, I turn over into Luke chapter 8, and I just have sensed that that is what, that is just the nature of who he is. It's what he was, it's what he was wanting us to, to catch. It's the thing he wanted, one of the things that he wanted us to learn before he went. And in the same way the Father sent him, he sends us. And he's wanting us to see some things about how he lived. He want, he's wanting us to see the things that, that he did so that we would replicate him, that we would imitate him. And, and as we go into the next chapter, in Luke chapter 8, we read of the, towards the end of the chapter, uh, verse 40, right down to verse 56. And in the midst of that, we see, uh, we see this, this, this lady, 12 years with this, with this issue of blood, and I think we miss it because if we were familiar with our Old Testament laws, this woman would have, been, would have been cast out from her community. If she had a husband, she'd have been, she'd have been, she had to leave. She had to leave. If she had a group of friends, if she was part of any sort of community life at all, she'd have had to leave because she was unclean. And she was unclean for 12 years. And so this woman for 12 years was, was alone, was rejected, was, the, was sensed the shame of those, the looks that would have been given how people would have made a wide berth, how people would have uh, rejected her because she was unclean. And for 12 years, that's what she faced. That's what she was going through. 12 years, that's a long time. To live with a constant sense of uncleanness, to live with a constant sense of shame and a constant sense of rejection. And Jesus is actually on his way because Jairus' daughter, this young 12-year-old girl, see, 12 years is too long to be facing this sickness and 12 years is too young to die and Jesus is on his way to the 12 year old girl who's about to die and he's interrupted by this woman he's interrupted by this woman who has been shrouded for 12 years in shame and guilt and rejection and isolation and all of that the labels that have been put on her and that's what life has been like for this lady and she's and Jesus, as, his, as he continues to do over and over again, he is interrupted. Jesus' life is one of interruptions. He seems to thrive on those interruptions and he uh, senses that someone has touched him. Someone has touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, makes herself known. And I think Jesus sets this moment up. I think this is intentional what he does. This woman for 12 years has gone unnoticed. Uh, maybe thinks that now, even if she thinks that she's maybe now clean, there's still a process. Seven days, she still has to go. She still has to go. If she's going to follow the laws, these Levitical laws, she has to go seven days and wait uh, uh, before she can come back into life of the community. And so even if she does feel like she has encountered Jesus, even if she does feel like she's unclean, she's going to slip back. She's going to slip back into the place of, uh, of being unknown, being forgotten. And Jesus is not going to allow it. Jesus is not going to allow it. And he brings her and wants her to tell her story. She wants to go unnoticed, but Jesus says, no, what's happened? What's happened? There's somebody who needs to come and tell their story. And so he brings this, this woman and 
and, and presents her before the people that have surrounded, presents her before the crowd and says, daughter, you are clean. Daughter, from right now you're made whole. Daughter, he calls her daughter. Daughter, that's, that is done. Every, listen to this community. Everybody that's around here, for 12 years, this is what you've labeled her. 12 years, this is how you've treated her. It stops now. She has a daughter. Do you see her? Daughter, tell your story. Tell what's happened. And he wants her to stand and tell her story, and she speaks of how she's encountered Jesus. And Jesus says, daughter, you've been healed. Now, go in peace. He says it again, go in peace. It's nothing, it's going to be the same now. And as I've, been, as I've looked at, the, at Jesus and as I've looked at, at the way he, he sees people, the way he sees the leper, the way he sees the, those that are gluttons, the way he sees those that are drunkards, and he, before, he, before anything, he, he sees them as image bearers. He sees them as ones that are worth laying down his life for, and he doesn't care about his reputation doesn't care about his reputation and so all the religious people call him a glutton and a drunkard and he didn't care because that's that's where he wanted to go he wanted to go to the margins he wanted to go to the edges he wanted to go to the places where everybody had uh, had rejected and set these people aside labeled them it's not being worth the mercy and the kindness the affection and the love of jesus and so after years of shame and rejection jesus it says, daughter, you are clean. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And then he still goes. He still makes his way. Jack, don't bother, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter is dead. And, and Jesus laughs it off and goes and, and raises this little girl from, from the dead. My child, get up. And so just as I've reflected on that and finished with, with just these three thoughts, these three words, I suppose. And I think we go, I think it's been the nature of God from the beginning. He, he created us in his own image, Adam and Eve in the garden. He walked with them in the cool of the day. He just longed for relationship. He just wanted to be with Something went wrong. But Jesus comes and, and he makes it right. And, and Jesus does, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And so I think that's what he did. He came to be with us. And if we, and if we were to go right back to the, to the story in the Old Testament, we'll see that he is for us. I will deliver you, I will lead you, I will redeem you, like I'm for you. And we, we see that in, in the life of Jesus. We see it in how he treats the, the vulnerable and the rejected, those in shame. We see how he treats them. He communicates not only that he is with them, but he communicates that he is for them. Nobody else is going to fight your corner. Jesus makes sure that they know that he is. He is with them. He is for them, and he is he is unto them. But to, to make that sound easier, then he brings direction. 
and I and I think he does that with the woman that's been caught in adultery. He 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 comes and he just is with her. He he communicates. He 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 pushes back on the religious that would suggest that he is for her. And then he and then he brings direction. He says, "Go and sin no more. Go, this is now the way to live. This is now the direction that I'm that I'm pointing you to go." But I think the order is really important. I think the order is really important. I think we see it in the in the. I think we see it in God throughout the Old Testament. I think we see it in the life of Jesus. And I think it's the challenge for us today as the church, those called to carry on. The, the kingdom mission of Jesus as his ambassadors, as his agents of, uh, as his agents of transformation, as his agents of bringing hope and help to those that have been rejected and shamed. The, the same thing applies for us. Our, what we want to do more more often than, than not is to go straight to direction. We want to see. We want to go to the lives of those people that are living a certain way, or living in a in a way that we we don't agree with, or that we don't like, and offer direction. We want to provide. We want to provide direction first, but I think we need to hear the order. The order is that we would be with. The order is that we would be with. That's what Jesus did first. And there's something about being with someone and there's something then even more about being for someone that gives a permission to speak, to speak direction, to speak words of correction or words of life or words of shift or whatever it is. And I think that's really important. Like I, think of, I think of school teachers, but I think even as a parent, like if my, if my, if my, the, the relationship that I had with my children was just one of direction, all the time, like I'm just coercing them. I'm just forcing them to go a certain way, and they're going to go up. They're going to go. They'll probably go a certain way because Daddy's saying it, and there's a sense of duty to having to to do this. But I want to communicate to them first of all that I'm with them. I want to communicate first of all that I'm with them, and I want to want to communicate second that I'm for them. And I think presence and advocacy, whatever people that we surround ourselves with, whoever is among our sphere of influence, presence and advocacy, I think, gives us a permission. It gives us a trust. It builds a relationship that allows us to speak into the lives of people that we love and care for and want to see encounter the, the, the mercy and the grace and the kindness of Jesus. So that's the question. That's the question that I felt like I've been challenged with all week. And I really felt like it was a question for us all to be challenged with. Like, what, what, it, what, what do you see first? Do you see this woman? Do you see this man? Do you see this family? And then the, the, the practical side of that for me is that we would be with, we would communicate that our, our withness, we would communicate our forness. And then I think we're in a really good position to be trusted, to begin to point people in a, in a way that we believe will bring the abundant life that Jesus promised. And, um, and so I'm just so struck by that this, this week. And I invite you to be challenged by this. I invite you to wrestle through some of this yourself. Honestly, there was times where it was a real wrestle. Like I, I want to communicate as best as I can up here and 20, 
odd minutes, 25 or 30. But I tell you, like, there's times where it's like, God, this is, some of this is really difficult. But I feel like every time he, he reminds me of who he is, giving me a further glimpse of his mercy and his kindness. And he is so much more kind, he is so much more merciful and loving than we could ever imagine that we could possibly ever dream of. And so he's, he's, he's inviting us, he's calling us to, to, live, to live out the same way that he lived to imitate him as we uh, encounter people in our everyday life. So can I pray for us? Is that okay? Um, Father, I just thank you for, I thank you for this, this group of people. I thank you, God, that um, I thank you for the affection that you uh, have set on each person in this room. God, I pray, would you please, God, make people aware of how well-loved they are. We thank you for friends and family, for people that, 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 that do love us, God, that do champion us. But God, I just pray that we can have an overwhelming sense of of how you are with us and how you are for us. And it's from that place that you want to offer direction. I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus into the world. You gave up his life so that we would, that we would not perish but have everlasting life. But I thank you even more than that, Jesus, that you did not come to condemn the world but to, to rescue it. Thank you, Jesus, that you did not come to point an accusing finger telling the world, how it has gone bad, but you came to, to help set it right. And, and so, so, Jesus, we thank you for your example. We just thank you for the joy that it is for us, God, to be able to, to, uh, to, be able to, to, to go to the Scriptures, to be able to go to this historical accounts and, and, and see how you lived, see how you loved. And so would we be challenged by that this week? Will we find ourselves in positions this week where we would just, uh, where we just live that out? Got to be times this week where, we just, where people would be so shocked because we're with them and we're for them. And we're trying to love them and lead them into the life that you have uh, promised and that you have offered. And so God, I just pray there'd be moments this week, God, where people would, after, maybe they've had a certain sense of, of, of religion, they've had a certain, been treated in a certain way by, by Christians. God, I pray that, we would, that people would be shocked by the kindness and the love of uh, people truly following the way of Jesus. And so, uh, so continue to challenge us, continue to teach us, continue to allow us to, 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 be, to be formed into your likeness as we pursue you, as we, as we worship you, as we um, encounter you, even just in our engagement with one another. And so, uh, so bless us, we pray. Encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen.